So I think for me, the biggest challenge that I've always faced is doing it by myself. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, right from the beginning when I started, even though, you know, I've had family and friends who have helped me along, it's my business. So I've done everything in terms of having to wake up at five o'clock in the morning to go do the night market runs to buy the meat and then come home and start prepping and cooking the food and then go get a van to drive myself and the equipment and the cooked food to whatever venue I'm doing at the event and then put up the gazebo set up the store <laughs> so I mean I like I said all I wanted to do was eat street food I didn't want to do all, all of that the other stuff, so, yeah. so that's always been a challenge hey everyone you're listening to item 13 a bi-weekly podcast covering everything African food and I'm your host Yom Tego Every other week, we'll delve into the world of African food, chefs, curators, and bloggers. I hope you enjoy it. This week, I speak to Tokumbo Koiki, the founder of Tokumbo's Kitchen, an award-winning food brand bringing a taste of Nigeria to the world. A passionate believer in the power of food to bring people together, she's the leading voice for West African cuisine, with regular press features, including on BBC and Virgin. Tokumbo has also curated events on food, entrepreneurship and diversity with Google and Facebook. Here's our conversation. So, welcome to Item 13, Tokumbo. It's a pleasure to have you on. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, it's, I'm absolutely delighted to be on Item 13. Thank you, thank you. Um, so let's start with Tokumbo. Who is Tokumbo? Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, sort of how you um ended up in London, where you are right now. Okay, so um, the name Tokumbo actually means somebody or something that came from the abroad, from oh, overseas. Really? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes, because um, I was born right here in London, mm-hmm. in Camden, North London. But my mom took me to Nigeria as a baby. So okay. I lived in Nigeria for the first nine years of my life okay. before I then came back to London, um, where I finished my secondary school, um, then went to university, started working. And then in 2010, I had this bright idea that I was going to move back home to Nigeria <laughs> and go and be a contractor and consultant, sorry, and um, went back home and realized I was more British than I'd given (laughs) myself realized. So um, after spending about 18 months in Nigeria, came back to London. (laughs) That's so interesting, though, that um, this idea of, um, I guess, I don't know what they call us anymore, third culture kids, I guess, where you sort of identify with so many different um, heritages, if you will, where you go home and you don't feel like you know you're from there, but you also sort of don't quite fit in. And then back yeah. where, you know, whether it's the UK, US, wherever, you you fit in a little bit, but not quite as much, you know. So it's it's, it's an interesting um, place to be, I guess, as you try to think about the different parts of what makes you who you are, right? So you're, you are definitely British. You are definitely Nigerian. We're trying to figure out what exactly is. It's, it's a little bit... Um, can be a little bit interesting sometimes. So, um, where and sort of how did you learn to cook? Like, who taught you to cook, and how did you sort of land in the in the food space? Um, so, I feel like I'm an accidental chef because <laughs> I was literally forced into the kitchen, and I remember that experience because I was about twelve, okay. and I always remember that age because my I remember my mom telling me. Um, but she started cooking for her family when she was eight years old. So I was already four years behind. So, <laughs> so yeah, it was literally a traumatic experience at that time, being forced into the kitchen to cook right. with the expectation I was going to be cooking for family one day. Um, um, at the time when my when I was living in London with my mom, even though I did have um, older siblings, it was just me and my mom for a very long time. Mm-hmm. So most of the time, my mom was working very long hours, so I was often left um, by myself to to get up to my own devices, and I would have to cook for myself. Um, But then I was quite a fussy eater. I didn't (laughs) eat everything, so I only learned to cook the things that I really enjoyed. 
but I would learn to pick it to the point of perfection. And then my mom would like, anytime we had family or visitors over, I would have to go into the kitchen to make this spectacular dish for somebody because my mom would be literally bragging about oh, it. Nice. So, <laughs> so you did think, start, yeah, pretty early on. And then yes. I, I read somewhere that Takumba's Kitchen actually started as um, Tea's Food Corner, right? Like a yes. street food store in 2015. Yes, it did. Because initially, when I finally got to the stage where I decided to take action on the idea that had been in my head for a couple of years, I wanted to do a street food. I wanted to eat suya, and I wanted to eat, <laughs> you know, bali, which is roasted plantain. Mm-hmm. I wanted to eat the street food that I grew up eating in Nigeria. So I started um, Tea's Food Corner. Um, and after doing a couple of, um, the first event that I did, I only had street food. And then I did, and which was at the Africa Utopia Festival um, at South Bank Centre here in London. Um, and that was an incredible experience. And then shortly after that, I started doing another market in Brick Lane, which is in the east um, part of London. And all these people, including white people, kept coming to my <laughs> store. And they were like, where's the jollof rice? I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so the following week, guess who was, who was cooking jollof rice on the store? <laughs> Because I figured, just because Tokumba wanted to do street food, right. if the customer is asking for give the people jollof rice. <laughs> yeah, so I, I had to go along with that. And then in April 2016, so at the beginning of 2016, I started finding out about supper clubs and pop-ups. Mm-hmm. And I attended quite a few. And I really loved the idea of it because I am a people's person and I love talking about my food, the culture and everything. So I decided I was going to start my own um pop-up supper club and speaking to a friend you know was telling me because at the time tea's food corner i came up with a, that name because i had a previous business um a fashion business which was oh. called tea's bagging corner okay yes because in my head i wanted to i and i'm still working towards it i have this world domination plan which <laughs> corner is going to be everywhere. And then from T's Corner, you're going to have this little oh, off-shop yeah. businesses. Um, but when I... So I, got, I launched with T's Corner. But at the time when I then wanted to find um, social media and do some you know, T's Corner was already taken on some platform. So I didn't have T's Corner um, uniform across. So when I was thinking about the supper club, I was speaking to a friend who does marketing and he kind of suggested that I maybe rethink having a separate name for mm-hmm. the pop-ups. Um, and I thought about it and I thought, you know what, Sucumbus Kitchen is great because it's basically me telling everyone, this is what I'm doing, come to my kitchen, come and eat with me. And the first supper club that I did was called Food is Ready, Oya Come Chop. Oh, nice. Because in, <laughs> yeah, because in Nigeria, when it's time to eat, we say Oya Come Chop. Um, and then also it's like on the streets, and I'm sure similar in Ghana and most West African countries where you have like Food is Ready sign. So I just thought, let me bring that together. Right. So, yeah, so that's how Tukumba's Kitchen emerged. And then eventually I got to the stage where I thought, there's no point having two business names when I'm effectively doing everything now under the same umbrella. So I decided to go ahead with Tukumba's Kitchen. Okay. Um, And then you've sort of talked about it a little bit, but for those who are hearing about Tukumba's Kitchen for the first time, sort of if you had to describe it, what would you describe the business and the, how would you describe the business and the services that you offer? So you've talked about pop-up, obviously. But what else is does Kumbo's Kitchen do, like in the spectrum of food? So um, in one sentence, Kumbo's Kitchen essentially is a pop-up food service that's bringing you a taste of Nigeria. So introducing Nigerian food to a more global audience. And we do that through a combination of um, pop-up dining experiences. So I do Supper Club, which is like a pop-up restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, I also do a West African brunch. And I do curated events that takes not just about food, but what it means to be an entrepreneur and what it means to be running a food business. Um, I also do street food festivals. Um, as well as private catering. So I've done individual catering. Mm-hmm. I've also done corporate catering for organizations like Facebook, um, Virgin, Startup. And recently I was invited to host um, the first Nigerian cooking class at the Google's oh, um, London. Right. Yeah, so I didn't see that. Yeah. Right. What was that experience like, actually? It was amazing. It was actually a dream that I hadn't envisioned oh. come true. 
Um, and I remember when I got the email, I was so excited. I tweeted it, and the first thing I was thinking is, "Oh my god, what am I gonna wear?" You know, it's Google. And it's like, Not what are yeah. you going to cook? <laughs> no, because um, yeah. Food is my second passion. Yeah. So, so actually, uh, speaking of that first sort of first Nigerian cooking class, if we take a step back and th- think about someone that's listening that as, is not as familiar with Nigerian food, like how would you describe Nigerian food to like a new someone that's new to the cuisine? And then what would you recommend for like a first timer? What sort of meals do you think define the Nigerian um, dining experience, if you will? So um, I always tell people that Nigerian food is um, a variety of, we eat a lot of rice and linguines and we eat a lot of vegetable stews. Um, we also eat a lot of um, cassava and root-based vegetables. So we eat yam, cassava. Um, I typically, most people tend to know jollof rice um, or I, at least I've heard of jollof rice. But again, I'm always trying to educate people that Nigerian food is a lot more than jollof rice. Um, our food is very flavorful and it's very vibrant and awesome. Um, we use a lot of, um, full of umami, very aromatic, mm. um, very spicy, depending on the region of Nigeria that you're from. Um, so very complex tasting dishes with combinations of crayfish and meat-based in the stew. Um, but interesting enough, one thing I did also learn and um, for myself when I started the kitchen is that actually the base of most Nigerian food is actually vegan, which is made, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, which is made it very easy to be able to um, appeal to a wide range of audience right. and so cater actually- to a lot of culinary um, mm-hmm. So actually, I was going to ask you about that in terms of actually, you know, you talked about going to do that cooking class at Google. How do you sort of try to incorporate food? I wouldn't say food trends, but let's say food trends and also food sensitivities into your cooking. So whether it's vegan, whether it's gluten free, whether it's even fusion, how do you try to incorporate that into Nigerian food while at the same time sort of maintaining the authenticity of the food, right? Yeah. Um, after having done so many different types of events over the last three years and having fed audiences from so many different parts of the world, there are a few dishes that are very, very popular in whatever events that I do. And I also wanted to do dishes that people could easily find ingredients. So I didn't want to do a stew that only Nigerians would be able okay. to find the ingredients mm-hmm. for this. So things like jello fries. Um, again, when I when people ask, oh, what is jollof rice? I always break it down as it's basically a rice that's steamed, cooked in a tomato, onion, pepper-based stew. Mm-hmm. And straight away, those are ingredients that are easily recognizable to everyone. So they're like, oh, I can pick up um, those recipes and um, I can pick up those ingredients in my local supermarket. Um, so when I was thinking about the recipes for Flay and Gugu, that's exactly what I did. So I did a vegetable stew that used um, spinach and kale. And again, um, red peppers and onions, mm. so ingredients that they could find. Um, I did akara, which is um, a bean fritter that we um, have in Nigeria. It's a very popular street mm-hmm. food. And again, it's a very popular dish on all my menus. And um, again, using black eyed peas, where you can easily right. get that in the stores. Um, and then I did suya chicken wings. Um, obviously, it's the ingredient suya is not as common, but there are... For people who were interested, I was able to give them that and tell them places where they can pick up um, Yaji, the suya spice, to be able to create that thing. But it was amazing because um, I'd actually, so for that class, all I did was actually turn up on the day and did a little demonstration because I sent them the team and Gugu um, kitchen, my recipes, and they pretty much prepped everything before I came. Yeah, but at the end, everybody was asking for the recipe. So that was really, really, you know, positive for me. Mm-hmm. And um, according to the chef that's based in Google, that was their most um, attended class since they've been running this um, thing in the last three, four years. So, yeah, it was well, very exciting. For, and um, then what sorts of me. questions were you getting about, like, Nigerian food then? Because, uh, you know, when you talk about one trying to pick foods that, you know, are more accessible to that audience. I also wonder if with that platform, is there an opportunity then to introduce them to 
sort of more, I don't want to say more authentic, but stuff that they wouldn't otherwise find, right? Where Jalo, yeah. for example, is widely known, for example, and maybe even Nakara to an extent. So how do you sort of balance that responsibility, I guess, with, with your platform to share and make sure it's accessible to a certain audience, but at the same time, using that platform to introduce them to sort of new and lesser known um, Nigerian foods, if you will. Yeah, um, I mean, definitely in terms of, you know, you can just with Google, whenever I'm doing an event or I'm always very conscious about the menu that I'm creating mm-hmm. and wanting to make sure that I do I authentic Nigerian food, even if I might tone down the spice levels so right. that it's more accessible <laughs> to everyone, yeah. the flavors are still very keen for me to achieve. So one of my very popular dish is a stew called ayamashe, mm-hmm. which is from the south um, east part of Nigeria, from the yoga tribe. And it's a very spicy stew. It's basically green bean and um, green peppers, onions, um, cooking palm oil with um, iru, which is also known as dawa dawa, um, locust beans. Yeah. And in Nigeria, typically it's cooked with a sorted cut of meat. But obviously for me, knowing the English, the average British palate would yeah. not be able to eat a stew with so many like, you know, cow food yeah. and intestines. So I decided to start doing this stew, keeping the flavors, but doing it with just a cut of beef, mm-hmm. which I triple cook. And again, it's something that people enjoy. So with the goo-goo, because that was, this was my first um, time going in, um, I just wanted to do something that was, okay, you know what, we're going to do it nice and easy. You know, go <laughs> yeah. it's easy. But I wanted to do something that I want you to go home and recreate this as well. And then for the next one, and I'm you know, already been talking to them about going back in the new year, I can now start introducing a lot more complex um, and more even more authentic Nigerian dishes. Um, maybe even get to the point where I would do powdered yam in Google. Yeah. I've done powdered yam in my yeah. supper clubs before and, you know, it's been well enjoyed. And things like eggussi, mm-hmm. um, I would love to do that in um, Google. So, I mean, I'm very ex- proud that in the last three years, I can say at least I know I've had people from all over the world introduced to things like powdered yam, which they would not have had anywhere else. So, yeah, it's been amazing, really. Yeah, and then, I mean, when I think about sort of the menus that you put together, you know, just from your pop-ups, the branches that you do, they seem to be sort of quintessentially Nigerian, right? Things that would yes. probably take people back to their childhood memories of, you know, growing up, and whether it's having a uh, bully or um, a foriro and all of that good stuff. I'm wondering then sort of what are your thoughts on the African fusion food movement, if you want to call it that, where, you know, people are trying to, and it's, it's one way, right, of making our food accessible to a different audience where they're taking European techniques, um, French in particular, I've seen, um, even Japanese, I suppose, um, mm. and sort of playing around with our flavors to sort of make it different and interesting to a different audience. And, yeah, I mean, for me, one thing I always say is the a non-Nigerian and non-African does not know what jollof rice is. Right. So you don't need to change it to make it interesting for them. The fact that it's something that is different to what they're used to mm-hmm. already makes that dish yeah. interesting. Um, I am very specific that I do Nigerian food. And even within that, I'm very specific that I do Nigerian food that's um, that's unique to the tribe in Nigeria that I come from. Nigeria is a very big country with over 250 yeah tribes and if somebody else from a different region of Nigeria was to start their own Tokumba's kitchen and start cooking food that they grew up eating it might not be the same um, dishes that I come up with even though we're using the same ingredients or similar ingredients Mm -hmm. Um, and I think also as Africans I think we sometimes are not we don't know enough about the complexities in the food that we our ancestors have developed I always give the example of moi moi 
which is a steam being pudding. Mm-hmm. Um, not pudding, it's just like a steamed bean cake. Um, again, it's, it's the cousin to Akara in terms of you get the beans and you peel it, you blend it up, mm-hmm. and then you blend it with some onions and some peppers. Then it's steamed, traditionally steamed cooked in a banana leaf. Now, when I think about the strategy that is taken for somebody back in, you know, whatever our long accuracy and moments been around for, um, without the use of, you know, modern technology that we have, things like Blender, to get to the point where they develop this complex dish, Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's amazing. And it's an amazing (laughs) dish in its own right. It's very interesting. It's it's vegan. It ticks all the boxes. It's very nutritious. So to me, I wouldn't change Moi Moi to serve it to somebody who doesn't know what Moi Moi is because that in itself is an interesting experience for them. But I do understand and I do appreciate that there is a space for everybody to do what they feel is best for them in terms of how they love Nigerian food and how they want to present it to the world but I don't agree that we need to change the food to make it more interesting because as far as I'm concerned pounded jam with egusi and eforiro is already an interesting dish yeah. the way it is <laughs> right and I mean it's interesting that you even mentioned the diversity of food even within Nigeria alone right we can talk about the rest of the continent too but it almost seems like Nigerian food is sort of boiled down to like jollof rice plantain, you know, like almost five or six different things. But when you break it down by region, by, you know, ethnic group, you'll find that there's actually even more variety. And I can say that for, from a Ghanaian perspective, at least that you'll find that as you sort of dig deeper into a particular region, even into a particular area within a region, the diversity of the way people make food, keep food, store food, preserve food is just so wide and so vast and there's so much that we we probably can can learn and develop and share with the world that's just not your standard jollof and dodo etc exactly and this is why you know i'm even getting to the stage now where i'm a bit tired of jollof fries i'm really tired (laughs) i mean i did a brunch um just yesterday sunday and i wanted to do more than jollof rice. Mm-hmm. So I did, you know, rice with eforiro. I did um, beans and plantain um, potage. Because, like, you know, like you said, and also for me, growing up in Nigeria, having lived in Nigeria and having had experiences living in the, um, Lagos, which is such a vibrant city, I remember eating kenke in Lagos. Oh, really? And to, yes. Back. Until today, kenke is one of my favorite oh, Ghanaian nice. dishes. <laughs> but whilst I had... Um, I ate Kenke, the outside um, food from the northern part of Nigeria, which is completely different yeah. to the food that we cook in the south yeah. of Nigeria. Yeah. So to me, and this is why I'm always like, I do Nigerian food. There's no such thing as African food. It doesn't yeah. exist. Yeah. We don't talk about European food. So why do we now limit 52 countries <laughs> into one thing? And for example, plantain. Plantain does not exist in South Africa. They don't eat plantain in South Africa. So is plantain an African food? When, when the very first event that I did at South Bank, when I did Bolly, the roasted mm-hmm. plantain, I had all these Latin Americans right. coming to me and asking me yeah. about, and like, oh, where's the cheese? Because they do plantain right. the same way. The only difference is they do it in um, with cheese. So one thing I've learned is our food in West Africa, I mean, I talk about West African food because there is a lot of similarities yeah. and a lot of ingredients is quite the same across West Africa. So I would say West African cuisine or West African food, but it's that is more similar to food in Latin America than it is to neighboring countries in East Africa. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. Because I remember when I lived, and I think I've shared a story before, when I lived in, in South Africa, and just, I remember, because I, I don't even know where I moved from before, but I was excited to move to an African country because I could finally mm-hmm. have easy access to plantain, and I was just shocked. <laughs> yeah. It's like, and people, rude yeah, it's just rude awakening, right? Because I could not find plantain, like, easily and then when you yeah. ask people they're like what is plantain <laughs> yeah, <laughs> i was so... just blown away by it and that's exactly to your point that just the difference and diversity in our foods makes it difficult to just put it under one umbrella of um 
you know, yeah. African food. So um, I think this is a good time to take a short break. And then when we come back, we'll sort of dive into the topic of running that catering pop-up business in London and the challenges of, of doing that from your perspective. And then we'll wrap up with the rapid fire question segment. So we'll take a break. Okay. Here and we'll be Um, we're now sort of going to delve into you as a business, food businesswoman, I guess, in London, as a Nigerian businesswoman in London, and talk about some of the challenges that you face. And sort of on the other side, too, what, what sort of is works well in your experience? What are the advantages that you have as, as an immigrant um, food business person in, in, in London? So sort of let's start with the challenges that you faced as... A catering business, everything from maybe finding clients to pricing to actually even getting financing for your business. I don't know if sort of that was a challenge for you as well, but we can talk about those. Yes. Um, so I think for me, the biggest challenge that I've always faced is doing it by myself. Okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, right from the beginning when I started, even though, you know, I've had family and friends who have helped me along, it's my business. So I've done everything in terms of having to wake up at five o'clock in the morning to go do the night market runs to buy the meat and then come home and start prepping and cooking the food and then go get a van to drive my myself and the equipment and the cooked food to whatever venue I'm doing at the event and then put up the gazebo set up the store <laughs> so I mean I like I said all I wanted to do was eat street food I didn't want to do all, all of that the other stuff, so, yeah. so that's always been a challenge um the other challenge has been um cash flow um, I remember earlier on in the business when I started, I did a, I used to go to a lot of other events and listen to other entrepreneurs speak about their journey. And one thing I remember hearing, which kind of made me feel, okay, it's not just me, was somebody saying, you know, he didn't pay himself for 18 months in his oh, business. Wow. And that was pretty much my reality. Um, even to the point where when I was doing an event, even when I was making profits, I'll pay my staff before I could even pay myself. And even okay. when I did pay myself, it would be a very basic salary. I literally started paying myself about a year ago. And the business has been running for over three years now. Wow. So everything else was just claiming as an expense um, in the business. Right. But getting to the point where I was like, no, Tokumbo's going to get paid first. <laughs> so literally was a year ago. So that's been a challenge. Um, and then again, in terms of pricing, um, more and more in the last couple of months, just a couple of things that's happened and speaking to other people, I realized that I've been underrating myself mm -hmm. and the services that I provide. Um, because again, I go to other people's events and I see what they deliver and I know that I do a lot more. Right. Because I have extremely ridiculously high standards, <laughs> <laughs> which comes across in what I deliver. So when people come to my events, the experience that they have is more than food. It's more, you're not just coming to my table to have food. So the brunch that I did yesterday, um, which was advertised to be three hours from three to, from two o'clock to five, mm -hmm. my guests didn't leave until eight. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and at the end of the evening, everybody was exchanging business cards. Oh, and, nice. you know, I've done events where, you know, months later, I've seen two people now collaborating and doing their own supper club based on having met at my events. Oh, nice. So for me, I'm not just providing food, it's more about making connections, making meaningful connections. Um, so for me, I'm like, definitely, I'm always rethinking my pricing. And also, I've gotten to the stage now in my business where I realize that you actually have to pay me as well as pay for my service. Right. And I, I think I've, I've had this discussion a lot also with like, African food businesses in particular. And I remember in London, when I was there last year, um, about our community's response to pricing of food, right? So remember this discussion we had where sometimes people will come to an event, whether it's a pop-up or, you know, if it's just as a, a standalone restaurant and they're like, well, this is just a loaf and I can make this at home, blah, blah, blah. But I think people miss the, the point of the fact that one, first of all, if you can make it at home, 
why are you here? Yeah. And two, there's a lot more that goes into putting together that experience than just the ingredients with the food, right? Yes, if you're at home, you can go and buy the rice or whatever and do it. But there's an extent, you know, you're paying your staff, you're paying for the space, you're, you know, investing in creating that ambience and that experience for them. And especially with our community, I found that it's really hard to sell it to them, especially when they think this is like food I can have at home. So how do you tackle that, especially as you are also doing like truly home cooked authentic, like when I've had your food and it feels like, oh, I'm at home sort of, you know what I mean? Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think for me, I've been from early on, I was very strategic in terms of who I was marketing um, the business to. And I was very clear that I wasn't marketing just to the Nigerian African community. Right. So um, I remember last year I was doing an, um, a pop-up um, street food and uh, in the area where it is, there's a lot of Nigerians that work in that area. And every day they would come and buy my jollof rice and every day it would be like, ah, this jollof rice is not spicy enough. And I'd be like, ah, sorry, auntie, you're not my target audience. <laughs> but obviously you're buying because you don't have time to get yeah. so, so if you want spicy jollof rice, you know, cook spicy jollof rice at home. Um, and I think I've been very blessed that I've been supported by the community. So right from the get-go, you know, I think for me, I remember the first event that I did, people seeing Suya in South Bank, in the heart of London. Yeah. That was such an amazing experience for them. It was like, oh my God, I haven't had Suya in so many years. Right. I haven't had Suya since I was a child. Um, so I've been supported by the community. But I've also had times when people have like, oh, you're expensive. And I'm like, well, no, I'm not. And then when I've given them an equivalent of, well, when you go to a Turkish restaurant right. and you're spending... £10 on a kebab, this is what you're getting and in <laughs> yeah. comparison to what I'm providing. Right. So, so yeah, in terms of, I mean, I know that it's definitely, there has been times when I've heard people say certain things that I just like, sometimes I've also learned to just bite my tongue and just be like, <laughs> you know what? You're just not worth the right. and effort yeah. that it would take to educate you. And I just, you know, keep it moving and I focus my energy on the people who see the value in what I'm providing. Mm -hmm. And I've been blessed that I've had repeat customers because they see, I mean, I did a residency at an hotel in um, London and we were there for six months. Initially, we were meant to be there for three months. But after the first month, just based on the service that we were providing, the manager agreed for us to extend to six oh, that's months. Amazing. I, yeah, we were there five days, six days a week sometimes, and we were serving lunch and dinner. And I had guests who came back every day. I had some guests who came back once a week <laughs> because they wanted to eat right. that food. And this was people from all over the world, so not just the African people. Right. In fact, in, at that particular restaurant um, venue, most of my clients, most of the guests that were coming to the kitchen were not even Nigerian or African. So... Yeah, so, and I was actually going to ask you this as you were talking about that. So, it's one thing, right, to to grow up, and I think most, um, I should say, I should speak for West African, Ghanaian, Nigerian specifically, actually. Most of us grow up where we're sort of forced or pushed into the kitchen environment, whether yeah. we like it or not. And so you end up learning pretty early on how to cook for yourself and then also for your immediate family. But how do you go from that to sort of cooking for large groups of people right because that's a different skill set and even learning how to time especially when you you know you're at a residency how to time Mm. the plating and orders that are coming in and all of that so how did you learn that and you know how do you sort of yeah how did you get that that because i think it's a different skill set right for me i ask questions so i remember the very first event that i did where i had to do it was um, 250 people oh and you know i and this was like less than a year into the business i'd already i'd only cooked for 30 people the most yeah so now all of a sudden i was being asked to cook jollof rice for 250 people so i called up somebody that i connected with on social mm-hmm. media who i knew had been doing catering for a much longer time okay. than me and I asked her, and I was like, look, how many bags of rice do I need to buy? How many boxes mm-hmm. of peppers? Um, and then over time, I also started writing down the recipe. So I was like, okay, I know that I, if I make a box of um, four um, peppers and two onions, this would give me X amount of liters of um, jollof stew. And then I would then just scale it up depending on how many. And then I'll decide, okay, once I've cooked this rice, 
um, how many portions of rice was I able to get from this particular batch? Now they give me an idea, okay, this is why I need to make 20 right. portions of rice. This is why I need to make 100 portions of rice. Um, but the very first time I felt like a real chef was last summer. Okay. Um, I, I did a residency at a wine bar in South East, um, Southwest London. Okay. And I remember the first, you know, I obviously went in, negotiated with them, talked about the menu and, you know, decided what I was going to get. And then at the beginning of service, um, the manager would be like, chef, how many portions do you have? And I'll be like, oh, I don't actually know. Let me go count. So I'll literally count how many portions of jollof rice in the plate. And then based on the numbers, I was then able to say, okay, well, the king prawns is very popular. So next, um, tomorrow I have to now buy more prawns. So that, and then obviously I've worked putting the numbers down on the spreadsheet to kind of like figure out the uh, recipe. So that's basically how I learned. But I definitely learned from asking questions from people who have been doing it far longer than I have because I don't believe in reinventing the world. Yeah, that's true. You copy, adapt, and paste. (laughs) That's a good motto to have, actually. Copy, adapt, and paste. Yeah. Even when I started my supper clubs, I called all my competitors and everyone except one agreed to meet with me. Yeah, I called them yeah. and I was like, I am about to start doing what you're doing. And I want to talk to you to find out how you're doing what you're doing so that I can do it just as well. Yeah. Or even better. Oh, and one person said no? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Obviously, we won't mention it. Yeah, no, 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 that's fine. Um, and, and so, you know, you sort of have all this success. You've been doing it for three years. You've had all of this success. And then I know specifically, I don't know if it was this year or late last year, when you posted this on social media, so it was public, where you sort of made the announcement that you were done with Takumbo's Kitchen. It was becoming a little bit too much. So could you share what was going on at that time? And obviously you've, you've come back. And so sort of what made you decide to come back after whatever that experience was? Yes. So as I mentioned, um, I'm an accidental chef in terms of I was forced into the kitchen. I thought every African child was forced, girl child was yeah. at the same experience. And it was only when I got older and started going to other people's houses and they were like, oh, I can cook. And then I'm like, um, there's cooking and then there's this. And I don't <laughs> So for me to learn that actually I'm really quite good at cooking, mm-hmm. but food itself is not my first love. It's not my passion. Um, even now, I, I, you know, I tell people this all the time, and sometimes people are like shocked. But I'm not a foodie. Yeah, I don't. I'm not. I'm not a chef that goes dreaming about recipes and you know what to <laughs> right. cook. Like I said, when Gugu approached me about doing the cooking class, the first thing I thought was, "What am I going to wear? Not what am I going to cook?" <laughs> right. Yeah. But one thing I really do love is the way food brings people together and it brings communities together and it bridges, you know, cultural and generational gap. Um, so over the last, so actually it was in August that I had a, what happened was I had a really busy year. Obviously the residency at the green rooms was for six months from January to June. Mm-hmm. And then within that, I was also doing other things. I was doing catering, I was doing events and then over the summer, I had back-to-back festivals. And for some reason, the first weekend of the first festival that I had, which was at the end of um, July, mm-hmm. um, the lease in my property broke down. And oh, at first I was like, oh, they'll be fixed in two days. No, it wasn't fixed for another month. Oh, and that whole month meant everything that I was doing, there was a lot of strain on me because I was now having to carry things up and down the oh. stairs, oftentimes by myself. So it was becoming very physically exhausting for me. Yeah. And, you know, even though the you know, first couple of festivals I did were very great success, um, the last one in, um, in particular didn't work out as well as I thought it would. And it just left me really drained because I was like, oh, my God, I just had this amazing year. I won an award. I did all these great things. But now I'm broke. Mm-hmm. Like, I couldn't even afford to go on the summer holiday that I, I planned to do. And I kept thinking about how it was when I had a job because I was a social worker before. And I was thinking, I didn't work nearly as hard (laughs) as I am in this business. And I I was making really good money. So I remember just coming home and I thought, okay, I'd been actually thinking about it for a few weeks. And I mentioned it to a friend, but he didn't think I was quite serious. And, you know, again, I've always said, you know, food is something I accidentally fell into. Mm-hmm. And even deciding this business, this was not the business that I intended to do. As I said before, I had my fashion brand before. 
So I started thinking about, okay, do I really want to carry on with this? It's going to be almost three years. So in August, um, I decided I was going to take a month off to just really give myself time to think about how the business was going and what, whether, where, which part of the business I enjoyed more and where I needed to take a step back. And so that's what I did. So the all of August, I did not work at all. I took the time off. I, you know, reconnected with myself, you know, spent time with friends and family. And in doing so, it made me remember why I enjoy about doing the food, which is bringing people together. And that's why I decided to start doing my um, supper clubs and the brunches at home, because I love the intimate grand settings. Oh. I don't mind if you guys are here to 10 o'clock. I have had an event where people were here <laughs> to 12 o'clock you know at night and to me I love that because I'm home I don't right. have to you know you, I kick you guys out eventually and then I go to bed <laughs> but if I'm in a restaurant to 12 o'clock then I'm exhausted and okay. I have to drive one hour to get back home mm-hmm. and go clean up okay so so yeah it was just just feeling really tired and taking that time out and having that clarity really helps and then shortly after I got a couple of jobs that basically paid me premium um rates to mm-hmm. provide them the same service that I was killing myself to do. <laughs> I was like, okay, there is a better way of yeah. doing I mean, what I'm doing. I, mean, I love I... without killing myself in the process. So Right, no, and I thought at the time, like when I saw that, because you shared that on on social media, I don't remember if it was Twitter or Instagram. And I remember thinking like how authentic that was and how that's not a lot of people don't do that, right? So you only sort of see all the highlight reel, if you will, the highlight reel of, of their story. And I think it's good to be able to see this other aspect of it, like what's, what can be challenging about it. And the fact that you took a step back, you know, took care of yourself and sort of had the chance to reevaluate and then come back. I think it's a good, well, it's a good part of the story, but it's also good to share, right? And it's not just everyday high five high five yeah you know i mean i especially on my twitter because twitter is an addiction for me so (laughs) i tweet everything so when i'm having i remember last year um it was i think yeah about last year march again i had a really terrible period i was in a really bad place financially and even you know the business was struggling at the time and i just came home one day and i tweeted I'm so tired. I don't know if I can carry on doing this. Turned my phone off, went to bed, woke up the next morning, and I had tons of messages. You know, people responding to the tweet, people sending me DMs, people that I didn't even interact with, yeah. that I did not have a relationship with, who were like, oh my God, we've been seeing what you're doing. You have to carry on. We're like rooting for you. And that was like, wow. Oh my gosh. So I. I, I, I've done treads on, oh my God, this, you know, the day I did an event and I was running late and then mm-hmm. the jollof rice spilled on the floor. Because <laughs> <laughs> I really believe in, you know, me sharing my story is me. Like, it's it's also therapy for me. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, if I can go home and I can tweet about the bad day that I had or I can tweet about, you know, the great thing. So even with the face and um, the Google, you know, I, when I tweet that, having people like, oh, that's amazing. Um, last year, I've been tweeting for the last three years that I want to feed John Boyega. So every time I have news, people are now expecting me to like, <laughs> oh, is this is this, is this yeah. coming to tell us? So it's like there's now this awareness as well. And also, you know, people who have been following the Tokumba's Kitchen journey for the last three years, seeing what I've been able to accomplish and seeing how hard I am working at the business and like I said doing it by myself it really makes it when I won an award in the summer Mm -hmm. and it was a public vote and I in my heart even before it was announced I knew that I was going to win because I know that my brand has connected with so many people because I've been authentic in sharing all my journey so not just the highlights not just that i've been invited to google this is what happened the month before i got invited to google so yeah no no i think that's great and i and i i think that that honesty that authenticity is sort of what more brands need and i think that that's part of probably why like what you do resonates with a lot of people because you share like everything right and so people can sort of relate to the struggle story and then also the successes and then they want to support you and so i think it's fantastic and also bottom line like you have good food too right so all of Thank this you. at the end of the day yeah i can say that because i've tried it guys she didn't pay me <laughs> <laughs> 
You know what? One thing I've come to learn is, like I said, because and I it was actually the green rooms this year that taught me that lesson. Because my standard is so high, even on the days that I so for example, sometimes I will cook a pot of jollof rice, and in my mind, I'm like, this is not the best jollof rice I can cook. But the person eating with me will be like, oh, my God, this jollof rice is amazing. <laughs> and I'm sitting there criticizing myself. Yeah. Um, recently, I had a friend of mine. Her my name is um, Af- Yasmin. She has a food blog called Afrofoodie. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, she's from Ivory Coast. Yeah, she's yeah, in yeah. London. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, she came to um, lunch at mine, and I made some food. And I was sitting there like, oh, this food is not even good enough. And she's like, <laughs> what are you talking about? This food is great. So I, I've become so, like, I've learned to, like, not be so hard on myself yeah. just because I've come to realize that. And then, again, like I said, I've gone to other people's events, and I'm like, oh, okay. So, yeah, Tukumbo, you, your food is, um, <laughs> your food is, like, when it comes to food, I don't worry. It's, I, like, my concern is always about the other things. How do I create an ambience? How do right, I make sure that, yeah. you know, the difficult, the guest that's, you know, shouting at the other end of the table right. isn't inconveniencing other people at this end of the table. So it's, for me, those are the things that I'm thinking about. How can I over-deliver, um, how can I exceed your expectations? So rather than, I just wanted you to come and have this great food. No, yeah. I want you to go away with the wow factor. And that's why for me, you know, I'm thank you for that feedback. I mean, it's always great. You know, one thing I'm very lucky is I've had people who have come to my kitchen because they've been recommended by other people. And that to me just speaks volume about the fact that what I'm doing is being appreciated. And it makes it that much easier when you're having those bad days because then it's like, well, you know, if I'm not doing this, then there are people who won't have the opportunity to eat you know authentic nigerian food because in this london it's hard to find good decent nigerian food yeah i was was just um i was just on another interview i was i just had actually earlier today i was saying that and we actually talked about you as one of like in london specifically as one of the um good options for authentic nigerian food because we're trying to brainstorm and say you know like what's what's good authentic like not fusion or anything but something that you can have and be like yes this is like true nigeria and yeah your name came up there too so that's that's good um (laughs) yeah i remember somebody saying to me because there was a time when i asked a couple of people who had been to my event and i was like okay what how would you describe succumbus kitchen in one word and one word or one sentence and something that really stuck with me was somebody said eating at my table reminded him of when he used to be eating with his grandmother back at home and that that was like wow I am a a grandmother's level (laughs) this is gold I'm not even a mom's level and actually there was a day I made some moi moi for my mom and I screenshot it just in case, you know, she sent me a message and she said, you, uh, this is the best moi moi I have oh ever Oh my goodness, wow. And right. <laughs> even like, I remember when I felt that my, my food was now at a great standard was when my mom basically stopped cooking. Oh wow, Like, because nice. I used to eat with my yeah, mom yeah. and she got to the point where she stopped cooking and it was always, and even now, you know, if I haven't seen her in like two weeks, she'll be calling me, hey, Tukumbo, I haven't eaten her in my shape in a while. So it's like, but I mean, getting those, I mean, I love it, like getting those approvals and getting Mm. people who have come to my kitchen, who come back to the kitchen and then not tell other people, it just makes it easier for me to be like, okay, I can carry on, keep doing this as much as, as long as I can. But knowing that, you know, people are eating and feeling, because my thing is always, I want to take you back to Lagos. I want, I want, I, right now I physically can't go to Lagos. So the only way I can do that is to invite you to come and have brunch with me where we right. eat in Suya and all the great things that you would be eating in Lagos just without the sunshine. <laughs> just without the sunshine, right. So then um, I sort of what's, I was going to ask you what's next for Tokumbo in 2019 then. So it sounds like one, you're going to be doing a lot more of um, intimate, I guess, meals at your place versus um, restaurant spaces. Is that yes. right? Um, I think just because like I'm now at the stage where I'm again thinking about personally what I want for myself. So mm-hmm. I'm going back into exploring um relaunching my fashion brand oh, um, okay. business. 
Um, so I'm currently working on that, but I'm also writing a book um, about some of my experiences running the business and other life experiences that oh, I've that's had. Fantastic. So, 20, yeah, 2019 is basically my next level year. I really, am, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm at the stage now where I feel like okay, I've taken Tukuba's kitchen to a really great point, and I haven't done that by myself. But now I'm like, okay, what is the next level and how can I get there? So now I'm like, okay, let me find people who are better than me at doing that and get them to work with me to brand to this kitchen in such a way that, you know, I want to be seen as the UK leading expert on Nigerian West African cuisine. So essentially yes. that's, that's awesome. like I said, world domination is always <laughs> in my own we're not stopping now (laughs) (laughs) and then what about because i know that um sort of people are a lot more people are also looking into like product development recipe development so do you think you'll come up with either a line or some sort of line of food um products or anything like that? i am definitely working on it there's actually i do a sauce called atadindi which is basically fried pepper sauce okay and um, I've been doing it since I started the business and almost everywhere I do it people are always like oh my god this is amazing um, The I did a pop-up a um, couple months ago and the lady emailed me the next day and she was like where can I buy this so I've been saying I'm going to bottle it I'm going to bottle it but I've been quite lazy yeah. about doing that but now I'm actually like okay no we're going to get that done so that's something that I'm oh, working cool. on to hopefully okay. set up for testing before the end of this year and um, start producing it on a small scale and the end, beginning of next year. Oh, wow. That's a lot going on for you next year. Then we've seen the book, <laughs> maybe fashion, yeah. the sauce line, all of that good stuff. That's awesome. Yes. Um, I I think, I, like I said, for me, I I feel grateful of where I am and what mm-hmm. I've been able to accomplish. And even just that opportunity to be able to go to Google and have the chef be like, okay, we can definitely invite you back. Like, okay, great. What can I now do with that? And how can I bring other people in? Because I am very much about community. So for me, one thing I, I've tried to do, even with my competitors, is like, how can we work together and support right. each other? Because ultimately, the market is big enough for every one of us. Right. So whether you're doing fusion and I'm doing authentic, yeah. we can both all win. So it's really about that's carrying good, other people Yeah, out. that's a good perspective to have, right? There's a lot of room for us all to sort of flourish in the space. And so there's no reason to cut off people or, you know, just to... Absolutely not. I mean, the last festival I did in the summer, the lady next to me was selling Ghanaian food and jollof rice. I was selling my Nigerian jollof rice. Should we not go there and do this Nigerian jollof rice? Some people came specifically to eat Nigerian jollof rice. Some people didn't care whose jollof rice they were eating. But at the end of the night, we both sold out. Yeah, that's. Good. So I always tell people that you know it doesn't matter. Even now, I'm work. I'm mentoring a young lady who's also a chef, and you know, helping her develop her food brand because. I, you know, if anybody wants to learn about running a food business, please send me a message. I am happy That's to great. teach you everything that I've known because I want there to be more options. I don't want there, I don't want Tukuba City to be the only place you can go <laughs> right. to make yeah. food in London. Great. No. So then where can people find you online, social media, etc.? So um, all my social media and do is at Tukumba Kitchen. So I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, and also my website is um, tukumbaskitchen.com. Okay, great. So now it's time to transition to the rapid fire segment where I just ask you a question. And then you just let me know off the top of your head, like what sort of the first answer is that I'm seeing. So ready? Yes. Okay. Um, let's start with coffee or tea. Oh, neither. Really? I'm the British person that doesn't. I was like going to say, like, I at least expected that you would say tea because of you know <laughs> you're British. Yes, I'm, I'm that British person that doesn't like tea. I have never understood coffee. In fact, I can't stand the smell of coffee. You so. can't, oh my gosh, that's like sacrilege. <laughs> I love <laughs> the smell of coffee. Sorry, no, sorry. <laughs> Okay, so, Inter- very interesting. So, what what's your go to like beverage, like hot beverage? I suppose yeah. um, it would be a hot chocolate. Okay, okay, interesting, yeah. interesting. Okay, <laughs> um, dine in or take out? 
take out. Okay. Morning or night person? Uh, night person, definitely. <laughs> and then Instagram or Twitter? I actually... Oh, Twitter. <laughs> Why though? Like, I, and it's, I find this interesting because I always think that food people sh- would sort of lean more towards Instagram just because of the ability of Instagram, to, you know, to showcase what you do a little bit better than Twitter, but... Yeah, I mean, like like I said, I, I love Twitter because you can actually build meaningful relationships yeah, on Twitter. Course, yeah. um, whereas I feel like Instagram is a bit superficial sometimes and <laughs> you're just getting, you're getting a very curated right, picture. Yeah. So like yeah. I said, I've gone to people's events where I've been at the event and I know that I'm waiting two hours for food, but on Instagram, it looks like everybody's having a great time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so but Twitter, you know, I'm I've made really great connections on Twitter. I've made friendships on Twitter, and I've, I've I've had business come from Twitter because of the way I share my story. And I think as somebody who likes to talk, Twitter gives me that space. Whereas on Instagram, you know, now with instant stories, but even then, I'm like, do people really watch me like yamming on and on? That's like ten seconds, but they do. So yeah. yeah. Interesting. Oh, that's a fair point. No, that's fair. Um, let's see what's next. Sweet or salty? Sweet. Okay, so then I think that's actually related to the next question. You prefer a starter or dessert? Dessert, definitely. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> but only. But then again, with dessert, I'm very fussy. So sometimes I've gone out and I don't order dessert because I don't like any of the options. Interesting. What kinds of desserts do you like then? Um, I like chocolate. Okay. I, I have very sweet tooth, so I do like chocolate. Anything with like ice cream, yeah. um, apple pie. But apple pie is usually only in America because British people don't really do good apple pie. <laughs> okay. Um, hmm, interesting question. What would you say has been your biggest failure in the kitchen? Like, do you remember a time when you did something that you were just like, nah, this was just off? <laughs> Um, so actually this weekend, <laughs> okay. So, um, I, I had a box of plantain that was gone really, really soft. Mm. And my sister-in-law was like, oh, you should just put it in the freezer. Um, mm. now I myself don't like soft plantain. So even just touching it just makes me like, yeah. oh. but I did it. I cut it up, put it in the freezer. And then yesterday I wanted to make the beans potage. Um, so I got out the beans, started cooking it. Then I added the plantain, and as it was cooking, I was thinking, yeah, I don't think this plantain is the right one for these beans. And even then, I wasn't sure if I should serve it, but I cooked a really big pot, and I was like, at the most, British people are very polite, so they just won't eat it. <laughs> so that's like this, I kind of, because I do sharing platters. Um, so I put it on the table, and you know some people ate it. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> all right. But at the end of the night, I couldn't bring myself yeah. to eat it. Yeah, I threw it away. I won't even lie. God forgive me, but I, I just. <laughs> and then, um, oh, when when you're feeling lazy, what do you cook? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like, it's really bad because, that, like I said, because I'm not a foodie, oh, sometimes right. I actually forget to eat. Yeah, that's so if I'm that. feeling lazy, I have zero motivation to cook. Yeah. Like, it's, unless I, I have somebody to cook for, then mm-hmm. I'll get up and cook. And if I do, um, my kind of go-to dish is fried yam chips. Oh, I love fried oh, yam yeah. chips. Oh, yeah, that's actually good. Oh, actually, you just yeah. made me... Okay. <laughs> like, oh, I should get some yam. Okay. <laughs> Um, and then if you could live, or maybe this would be the answer to that, this question too. If you could live on one dish for the rest of your life, what would that be? Oh, it would be a toss up between fried yam chips and pounded yam. Oh, really? Yes. Interesting. So yam, essentially. <laughs> would be. Well, this is the interesting thing. I love fried yam chips and I love pounded yam. Do not ever serve me boiled yam. Oh, really? Don't, no, don't do it. As a, since, since I was a child, I... I, one thing I've realized is when it comes to food, I'm a texture person. Okay, yeah. Got so you. there's certain textures that I just don't mm. like. So even puff puff or akara, like I, if it's too crispy, I can't eat it. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So interesting. Yeah. Um, and then the last question is, who is your dream like African chef to cook with? 
Oh, so my dream chef, who I actually didn't get to cook with, is um, Chef Pierre Cham. Oh, nice. Yes, I did get to cook with him a couple of times last year because I was invited to um, be at the New York African Restaurant Week. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yes, yeah, I did yeah. a pop-up. Um, I was one of the chefs working um, at the James Beard um foundation and he also invited me to assist him at a private event that he was doing at the world um trump world talent trump um center so that was really great oh nice oh cool like he's yeah he's someone i've I've always i've always wanted to connect with so hopefully knock on wood sometime soon that's great i can i well i mean i haven't spoken to him in a while but i'm happy to do an introduction for you he's a really lovely guy and he's incredibly busy but yeah he's really really lovely and Um, i know he's he's opening a new restaurant in new york at this moment i have i have so So i'll try to to check it out (laughs) definitely okay it's been such a great time talking to you um Oh, this has been great it's been great to learn about more about your journey and sort of see what's um going to be happening with you and with Takumbo's Kitchen in, in 2019 we'll be paying attention following you online and um yeah hopefully also definitely we'll see what we can do work together with 2019 yes, and also going forward um so this is great thank you thank you Hey guys, thanks for listening to Item 13, an Essence 13 production. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes. To keep up to date on news and events from Essence 13, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Essence and the number 13. Thank you.